Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, our guest is Patty Vargas, who is a partner with Davis and Santos. Welcome, Patty. Good morning. Thank you for letting me join you today. Oh, my pleasure. So t- tell us, what made you get into, into law? You know, I, I guess it's sort of cliche, but, you know, certainly always had an interested interest, interest in helping people and, and working with people. And what I found is that in the area of estate planning and, and probate, I'm really able to help people on, on both sides of, of, a, of a circumstance. And, and that really being you know, the passing of a loved one. Um, and, and the reason why I enjoy it so much is that I'm able um, initially to help people get their ducks in a row, if you will, make sure that they have the, the documents that are, are right for them. Um, and it's interesting because I often find that after a meeting um, with clients, uh, someone usually says, I feel so much better. And, you know, personally, that just gives me, you know, such a, a great feeling because I, I know that I've, I've helped them with, with something that's probably been, you know, on their mind, likely on the back burner, but we've, we've, we've taken care of it. And then separately, you know, after somebody passes away, helping them through that difficult, difficult timing and getting them really back on track. And so again, it's, it's that sense of, of helping people, um, you know, through, uh, you know, a situation um, and, and making sure that, that they are left, um, you know, feeling better than maybe when they first came in. Right. That's that's always, always gratifying, uh, you know, at the end there. Now, so did you did, did right after law school, did you start out in a state right away? I did. I did. I was fortunate. I uh, you know, grew up here in San Antonio, um, went out of state for college, but came back and went to St. Mary's University. Um, and right out of law school, I, I joined a firm whose primary uh, practice area was in estate planning and probate. And so I was fortunate uh, to have started my career there. And then I have continued since that time. So it's, it's been about 20 years now. Great. So tell us, what are some of the common mistakes that people make when it comes to you know, estate planning and probate and such? Honestly, I, I would say the uh, a, a mistake would be is, is really doing nothing. Um, and that's where I think, um, you know, clients, individuals can, can find themselves in a situation that is very difficult and then very stressful as well, uh, particularly um, in a situation that may already be stressful. You know, for example, um, if somebody is, let's say, in a car accident and they're not able to make their own medical decisions, or they're not able to handle their own finances because of that uh, accident. Certainly could happen because of of, uh, illness as well. But you have those around you who are desperately trying to help, and yet they don't have the legal authority to do that. And with some simple planning that can be done, you can make, again, what is already sort of a stressful time that much easier, if you will, um, so that those that you trust, those that you want, can come in 
and make those decisions for you, whether they be medical you know, or financial. And, and I'm speaking, of course, um, with respect to, say, a, a power of attorney for financial matters or a medical power of attorney uh, for those medical decisions. You know, taking it a step further, um, the you know mistake, if you will, that I see in, in probate matters uh, is when somebody doesn't do any planning, and and when you don't do any planning in every state, that state will do the planning for you, right. and sometimes that's not the type of planning that you want. Right. Um, and while I can only speak about you know directly on on Texas law, um, it's can be a very um, difficult situation. And I've actually had to do this before with a surviving spouse who unexpectedly lost her husband and he didn't have a will. And unfortunately, because he had a child from a prior marriage and the children were not all children of the marriage, all of his community assets, because Texas is a community property state, all of his community assets, including their home, went to the children. She only retained her one half interest in the community estate. So not only did she just you know, lose her husband, but now I'm telling her that she doesn't completely own their house, that she owns it with her children, two of whom were minors at the time. And so again, um, I think it's just really important that even um, a little bit of time and, and, and effort be given so that the documents that you want, the way that you want them can be prepared um, and, and signs so that they're valid and can be relied upon. Right. So going back to the, to the power of attorney and medical power of attorney, those are things that are used before death, correct? That is exactly right. So once somebody passes away, those documents no longer have any you know, validity. Okay. So then, then what takes over after that? So let, let's, let's say that somebody would did poor planning and, and didn't do a plan. Um, so what happens with like bank accounts and things like that? What I always like to remind clients is, is that you have assets that would be considered probate assets and assets that are considered non-probate assets. And I usually like to say it's a little bit easier for me to describe a non-probate asset, an asset that is not controlled by the terms of a person's will. A non-probate asset is going to be, for example, a life insurance policy where the person has named somebody as, let's say, the primary beneficiary, even if it's more than one person, and then a, a contingent or a remainder beneficiary. So that's going to be controlled by that document that is on file, essentially, with the life insurance company. Another good example of a non-probate asset, an asset that's controlled by something other than your will, is a retirement account. Same situation with the beneficiary designation form. And of course, you're able to update, update those you know, as you wish throughout your lifetime. Bank accounts can also be non-probate assets. Um, for example, uh, if they are styled as a pay on death or transfer on death to someone, mm -hmm. the person who is that named beneficiary on that bank account just needs to go in with the death certificate present that, probably a driver's license or some other proof of uh, identification, and that account will be transferred. And so there are certain assets that are automatically, I'll say, non-probate assets. Um, but in saying that, it's also important to realize that it, it's, it's important to look at what your will is saying and what these non-probate assets are saying so that they are actually 
uh, I'll say working in harmony with one another. So what I often find is, is that a person's home or other real estate is going to be a probate asset. Mm-hmm. An asset's going to be controlled by the terms of the person's will. Um, or if they're a single individual and they don't have, you know, beneficiary designations on any of these other assets, bank accounts, brokerage accounts, whatever it may be, those, of course, are going to be controlled by the terms of the person's will, which hopefully they have. Right, right. So if you know, so again, we're, we just talked about, you know, wait, okay, not planning. And even, you know, a will is some planning, at least. What are some other ways that somebody can plan to help, uh, you know, because I always, you know, try to tell my clients at least have, you know, have your list of, of things that you have so it will help people. But what are some other planning things that they can do to help um, pass their assets on to who they want them passed on to. Sure. So a, a will is always, um, I'll say kind of the, the starting point, at least for me. Um, there are other planning techniques that can be used. For example, a revocable living trust mm-hmm. that someone may, uh, during their lifetime, uh, create for their benefit. It's critical, though, that during the person's lifetime that they transfer their assets into that trust. They, the term I would use is they fund the trust. And that actually can take some time, depending upon the type of assets that the person has or you know, where they're located and you know, how they may be spread out. Because if they have several bank accounts, let's say, or you know, several different life insurance policies, you're having to make a lot of changes after that trust is is signed. And so if you, if the person is not, I'll say successful in transferring all of their current assets into the trust, or importantly, as they acquire new assets in the future for the remainder of their lifetime, take those assets in the name of the trust. What you'll find is when that person passes away, but there are some things, some items, some property that's left in their individual name, and we're still having to go through probate. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to realize that, yes, a, a revocable living trust can work very well um, at, you know, in certain uh, situations, but it's important to then take that additional step and make sure that your trust is funded. Separately, um, there are other planning techniques that help with the transfer of property. Uh, Again, here in Texas, some of those would include a transfer on death deed. It does not mean that you are giving your property to the individual or individuals that you have named in that deed, but rather what it does is immediately sort of upon your passing, um, your interest in that real estate vests in the individual named in that transfer on death deed. And so you are, you know, sort of quote, avoiding probate by doing um, you're able to revoke that deed during your lifetime. And so that can be a, a easy way to transfer real estate is by having a, a deed such as that. A similar deed is um, commonly referred to here in Texas as a ladybird deed. It's also known as um, an enhanced life estate deed, where again, you are retaining full ownership. You can sell it, lease it, do whatever you want with it. But upon your passing, that property link excuse me, that property immediately vests in the individual that's named as the, um, the, the transferee in that deed. So you talked about in that situation, you know, with the, the, the life deed that you can change your mind at any time. What about with the revocable trust? Is that the same way? 
It is, which is, I would say, key to the name, revocable, you know, living trust. The other thing is, and I would say this regardless of your, what type of estate plan you have, and whether we're talking about a will, um, a deed, for example, that I just mentioned, or the trust, and certainly even with those, I'll call them lifetime documents, medical power of attorney, um, uh, statutory durable power of attorney, advanced directive. It is important to review those documents periodically. You know, maybe you don't actually get them out. You know, you're probably not looking at them, you know, every other month, but once a year (laughs) at best. But just think about those documents because circumstances change, you know, know, things, priorities, whatever it may be, changes. Um, Simple examples might be when a, a will in which you name a guardian for children um, is first sign. Maybe the children are really young, two, three, and four, and you know your parents or your in-laws are a natural fit. But goodness, once they're thirteen and fourteen, and they're busy and yep. you know going here, going there, and you know your parents or your in-laws are starting to slow down. Maybe that's not the best fit anymore. And so it's always good whether you know to review those documents because whether it's a a personal change, a personal desire. Or there's other changes, whether it be in the law, um, you know, in, in the uh, you know, estate tax world, if that's a, a concern. And so maybe changes aren't made, but it's always good to think about them, look at them and, and question, is there a reason for me to go back to my attorney and ask these questions? Um, because a, a lot of times the changes that are desired are ones that the attorney won't necessarily know. They're really personal to the client. Right. So can we go back to the to the uh, to the funding uh, funding the trust? Now, tell me, you know, me, you know, my thoughts are it's it's ultimately the the client's responsibility to make sure that these are done because they're the ones who have to physically go do this. Um, but lots of times, people think that the it's the attorney. Well, the attorney drew up the trust for me. Why aren't they responsible? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. And, and I think that it's important when you are, when a client is working with an attorney is to have that conversation during the initial meeting, um, which is who's going to do this? You know, are you expecting me, the client to do it? Or can I rely on you, the attorney to do it? And if the client does it, what assistance or what direction, or I hate to use the word instructions, but really what instructions are going to be given? Um, because I would not expect a client to, you know, know how to maybe retitle something or what steps they need to take. And so I will usually provide a, a letter or call it a memorandum that will help walk the client through. Don't forget, these are the things that you need to do. Separately, though, if the client um, needs my assistance or wants my assistance, I'm, I'm happy to do that. It's going to take more of my time. And, and so of course there's going to be an increased cost there, but sometimes that's, that's, you know, worth it to the right. client. Um, what you'll find is that, for example, the attorney might need the client to sign a, an authorization that allows that financial institution to talk to the attorney. Um, certainly real estate is something that's probably going to require the attorney's assistance right. in order to transfer, you know, prepare that deed, have the client sign it, and then get it recorded in the proper County. Um, but 
it's, it is really important that the client understand that just because they signed the trust, the work isn't over. And in fact, in my mind, the work is just starting. Yeah, exactly. And then it's just who is going to do that? Who's going to take the lead on that? Is it going to be the client or is it going to be the attorney? Are they going to be working together on some matters such as, uh, you know, with respect to real estate? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that that's something important. And, and the thing I really like that you said is like, hey, if me as the attorney, if I'm doing more work, then yes, there is going to be additional fee because lots of times people think that, oh, well, you set up the trust for me. So you're supposed to, you know, any changes that I have, anything, you're just supposed to automatically do that and not charge me anything additional. Right. Um, and I find that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times when clients come to me, having done estate planning um, and, and having this, you know, revocable trust, you know, it, it's all the, the documents, if you will, are all are all in there. But then once I start to talk to them about their assets, it becomes pretty clear that they've not done that funding. They've not transferred everything, you know, or maybe, or any, sometimes anything. Right. And so, um, you know, what, what you were hoping to accomplish, whether that being, you know, avoid probate or more privacy, you know, whatever the, the, the decision was, you know, to create that trust, you've not achieved that goal. And you're going to find that, you know, you're going to have to go through probate, you know, have that will, which is termed a, a pour over will, which says all of the assets pour over into your revocable trust at the time of your passing is then having to be filed for probate and you're having to go through that probate proceeding. I think that, you know, I always try to tell people just like, you know, we're supposed to go to the doctors at least once a year to get our physical. To me, you're doing a financial checkup also. And I always say, hey, tax time's a perfect time because you are getting your taxes done. Why not take a look at at everything else? you know, there's also, you know, different, you know, uh, I'm going to say life events that happen. Yes. Um, you know, you talked earlier about the, um, the, 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 the husband that passed away and now things are, are, you know, with the kid and the new mm-hmm. wife. Um, I've seen that a ton of times where um, someone has passed away, but they never changed beneficiaries mm-hmm. previously and stuff like that. How does that work with the with the revocable trust? If you know my my ex spouse is the beneficiary still on my policy because I've never changed that, um, and I have a living trust. So you know, it's first it's important to uh, note that there are sometimes statutes in in certain states that will say a divorce will terminate an ex spouse's right. In, in certain assets. Um, what I mean by that is if a, if a divorce occurs and, and you have a will, that spouse can no longer be the beneficiary, can no longer be the executor. Um, and so sometimes states have similar uh, uh, statutes that deal with say life insurance policies. So it, it is sort of you know, state by state specific. And yet what you certainly don't want to have happen is you were divorced 20 years ago, you never updated that life insurance policy. And lo and behold, you know, that ex-spouse is now going to receive those death benefits, not your children, which is whom you thought they were going to go to, because that's what your revocable trust says. Um, and so again, I know we're kind of, you know, 
saying this again and again, it just is really critical to think about changes in your life um, and what updates may need to be made because a simple update can really um, alter um, and, and make things you know the way that you want. Yeah, I, th I think that that's that that's something important. I know that that we preach to people when someone loses a spouse. It's like, hey, you know, make sure you go back and update all of your life insurance policies and and retirement accounts and everything else to name new beneficiaries because before you had your spouse, now they're no longer here. So you need to name, you know, someone else to be the beneficiary. Exactly, and even if the individual had, let's say, name the spouse and then name their children equally um, as the contingent beneficiaries. My thought on that is it's important just to update all of those documents. I mean, first, it, it, it's kind of forcing you to look at everything again. Right. Um, but second, it, it, it then precludes the need, you know, for your children then to constantly having to say, well, you know, my, my one parent has passed away and, you know, now I'm the beneficiary. And so they're always having to <clears throat> explain that, you know, with a death certificate or, or whatever it may be. Same with powers of attorney or medical powers of attorney. You know, spouses oftentimes name one another and then their children in some order. So, you know, if one of the spouses passes away, well, maybe, you know, their oldest child is now the, the, the first alternate but they're constantly having to explain, well, yeah, I, I know I'm dad's power of attorney, but mom passed away. And so, you know, you don't, it just makes things a little bit more seamless um, and, and less burdensome, especially again, I go back to saying, you know, if there's a stressful you know, situation because somebody Ill, is ill or sick, you just want to make it easier for the person who is, you know, working so hard to act on your behalf, uh, you know, especially when it is, you know, you wanted that person to be able to do so already. Right, right. So we'll keep both of us. We'll keep going back and say, do the planning, do the planning, yes. Yes. Um, because if you do, then that way you make sure things happen the way the way you want it. And and the, the bigger thing is, is you make it easier. Yes, you're gone, and you're going to say, well, I'm gone. I don't care. <laughs> but you know, we really, you know, we really want to make it not so stressful on those that are left behind to pick up the pieces. That's for sure, because it's an emotional time as it is. Definitely, definitely. You know, and other terms that might change, for example, are um, if you have created a, a trust for a child and, and, and maybe you thought once before that, you know, age 25 was a, a perfectly sufficient time for that top now sort of adult child to be their own trustee. But, you know, you're having second thoughts as they starting to get a little bit older. I mean, those are easy terms to change. Um, other terms that, you know, come up that I find that clients come in and say, you know, we'd like to, you know, look at this again, you know, heaven forbid a, a, a child or another beneficiary has substance abuse issues. You know, right. maybe we include a term in there that, um, you know, requires, you know, uh, the trustee to, to look at that. And then of course, if you have a situation with a, a beneficiary who has special needs, um, and may qualify for, um, you know, needs benefits, we're able to include a special needs trust for that individual. And so again, these are situations that also can arise over time that perhaps when you first went in and, and met with the attorney and initially signed the documents, um, you know, really necessitate a, a, a review and, and a conversation and, and possibly a change. Right, right. All right, Patty, we've covered a lot of good stuff. 
what have I not asked you that you wish I had? And that's probably, there's oh. probably a hundred things that you can think about, but. That is a great question. You know, I, honestly, I guess here's, and I think you actually touched a little bit on this in, in the beginning. Um, I always like to say to clients, it's, it's important to have a little bit of a roadmap for your executor or your trustee. Now, what do I mean by that? I sometimes find in, in, in a situation where you have a married couple, you know, you sort of divide up, you know, you know, duties. I know I do that in my, my own marriage. And so um, I'm the one who kind of has my hand on, you know, where all the bank accounts are and those sorts of things. So if heaven forbid something happened to me, um, you know, we have maybe a, a small little account over here that my husband wouldn't know about. Right. It's, it's, I'll say, even more difficult when you have even, let's say, an adult child or, you know, maybe even a sibling or a parent who's being asked to come in as your executor or asked to come in as your trustee, but they don't even know where to start to look. Right. You know, where are all of your assets? Um, and, and you don't necessarily need to include, you know, values or those sorts of things, but just sort of a, a little, you know, outline of, you know, I've got accounts at, you know, these three banks, um, I've got life insurance, you know, with these two companies and my retirement account is here, you know, and let them know that, you know, where you keep this so that they can easily access that because the, the thing that I find, you know, sort of worries an executor or a trustee in, in those situations is, have I overlooked something? You know, have I forgotten something? Um, because I do want to do a good job. And so that roadmap can be so helpful in bringing kind of peace of mind to the person who is serving in that role, whether it's the surviving spouse or some other you know, family member or trusted friend. Right, right. That's great. Great advice. So if, if our audience likes what they hear and they would like to talk to you, how can they reach you? Probably the easiest way is, is to call. Um, okay. You know, my my telephone number here in San Antonio is 210-853-5882. Um, my uh, email address is P Vargas. So it's P V A R G A S at D S L A W P C dot com. So P Vargas at D S Law PC dot com. Great. I really appreciate your time and, and you know, all your wisdom. Um, I think that that our listeners are have a lot to, to take from this podcast today. Well, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, I personally am pretty passionate about this. And so I just really hope that your listeners are able to you know, think about this and, you know, take a little action because a little action will make just such a world of difference for them and, and their loved ones. Great. Thank you. Today, our guest has been Patty Vargas, who's a partner with Davis and Santos. Thank you. See Sam. you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.